This is Up For Debate Presents The X Stands For Nothing, the unbelievably true story of the XFL. Tonight, episode number 128, recorded November 7th, 2018. Chapter 2, this is the XFL. It's the players, and let me talk about the players for a moment and the sacrifices they have had to make to play the game that they love. Many of them left jobs, they left loved ones, and they put it all on the line because practice started in November. They got paid not one nickel to go through these practices to arrive here tonight. They put it all on the line. Now, tonight they will get paid. But the thing I love about the XFL is the heart and soul that these players show for the love of the game of playing football and the opportunity of continuing to play the game they love here in the XFL. It's a night of first... Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Up for Debate, the debate podcast where the two hosts agree on everything. I'm Sean Jennings, joined, as always, by uh, the the our own Memphis maniac. It is uh, Matt Mariani. How are you doing? You feeling extreme today? Uh, you know, man, it's kind of incredible. We've done something here that the XFL was never able to do, a second edition. Oh, so well, I, I, up until now. Ahead. Yeah, as as of right now. I mean, we'll see where what the future holds, what the future has in store for the XFL. Um, I, I am of the belief, Sean, that, that nothing can stop the XFL. And if, 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 on a long enough timeline... Um, the XFL is is un, an unstoppable force. I mean, to call it a cultural juggernaut would be a bit of an uh, of an understatement, Matt. I think you would agree. Yeah, we we can't really undersell the amount of contributions that the XFL has given us as um as as sports viewers, sports watchers in today's world. Certainly, Vince McMahon isn't going to undersell it. We know that. No, I don't think he could if he tried. <laughs> now, Matt, uh, if folks didn't join us last time, this is chapter two. If you missed chapter one, we did a great intro into the two men behind the XFL, Dick Ebersole and Vince McMahon. It was a great episode. Go check that out. It's in the feed, um, the episode before this one. But Matt, tonight we've got a lot to get through because the XFL, not your grandfather's football league, let's be honest here. This is Smash Mouth. This is Smash Mouth Smash Mouth football. football. The rules are different. They they came on the air and said, this is football like you've never seen it before. Explosions and wrecking balls and Mack trucks and sexy cheerleaders. XFL. No fair catch. No fair. Paid to play, paid more to win, Matt. And surprisingly, it actually ended up not being that different. But we're going to talk a little bit about what made the XFL so unique. A, a, a league that was only around for one season. Which, which is actually right. good for us, because if we covered something like the USFL or the WFL, uh, we'd have too much to cover. We'd never get through all of it. This is pretty sufficient, uh, uh, succinct. We should be able to get through it. I'm right. optimistic. And, and just to remind the folks at home, we're taking this in installments. We're taking them piece by piece. Like, uh, last week, we we we're, we went through an in-depth discussion with, with how the league was created, um, the inception of the XFL uh how it went from a uh, the brainchild of Vince McMahon, uh, how he pitched it to Dick Ebersol, how it found a place on television. Um, if you want to right now, I, I strongly advise listening to that first episode so that you're all prepared and ready. Um, come on back to this episode where, where we'll be talking more about the details um, of the XFL as a league, we'll go more in depth with what it is and and what it set out to accomplish today in tonight's show. And Matt, I'll even tease because last week we bought the land. Tonight we're laying the foundation. Next week we're putting up the house. We're talking about the kickoff game of the XFL, which is bananas. We've got the rock. We've got the scramble. We've got Matt Viscursion very uncomfortable. It is going to be a hoot of an episode, but tonight we're going to set that foundation so you come in next week hot. Uh, Matt, where do you want to start tonight? Because there are a lot of different ways we can break down the XFL. Um, I think a, a good place as any to start would be, we talk about training camp, I guess. That would probably be a good place to start. Um, and I know right off the bat, the training camp didn't really go so well, right? It was, well, was kind of, yeah. Not to cut you off, we're, we're go gonna, let's even go farther back. February 2000, 
the WWF restaurant in Times Square, Vince McMahon announces the XFL mm. is coming in one year. Okay, you got 12 months from scratch. They didn't have anything prepared other than the fact it was called the XFL and they had that dope black and red football. And that was it. So they had to start from scratch in a very short amount of time. Uh, the uh, XFL draft, Matt, fun fact, uh, the 2001 XFL draft took place between October 28th and October 30th of 2000. Uh, it took place, if you can believe it, over an insane 21 rounds uh, in which 475 players were selected from a pool of approximately 1,600. Uh, and there was a supplemental draft in December of 29 for an additional 69 players. Most of these guys coming from the CFL, Arena Football, NFL Europe, retired NFL players, or previous college players who had gone undrafted. Right. And um, again, this um, this this plan. I think we may we may have mentioned in the first episode, but this this plan kind of stems from Vince McMahon's goal, uh, or, or, or his original goal was to own a piece of the Canadian Football League. Absolutely, like he wanted he wanted to own a uh, a team in the Canadian Football League. He wasn't able to get his wish. He wasn't able to to. Um, to buy a team, he was kind of like laughed out of the room, basically, uh, when he when he expressed interest in purchasing a team. His goal, by the way, his long term goal was not just to buy a CFL team. He wanted to buy it and move it to the United States, or to just to just create a um, a United States expansion to the Canadian Football League. He yep. really thought he really thought that the soil was fertile. For planting a, um, a any any sort of rival to the NFL, uh, and he and he saw that that uh, fertile soil in the Canadian Football League. Um, so he makes this announcement. Uh, you know what? If, if if they if they laugh at me, they laugh me out of the room. I can't buy a team. I'm just going to make my own league. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make my own league that will rival the National Football League. And that's where he, where he's at in um, February of 2000 when he makes this announcement in the um, in the WWE restaurant, which I don't think is still exists. Um, the XFL, no, Sean, that doesn't exist. <laughs> Matt, would you go to the XFL restaurant? I would absolutely go to the XFL. I would I would wear my Los Angeles Extreme visor. And and I would absolutely go. I would I would I would wear my XFL 2020 shirt. Totally, and I would get the biggest meatiest burger they have on the menu. I, I'm sure they would have many. Uh, the uh, interestingly enough, the uh, WWF New York restaurant in Times Square opened in 1999 and closed in 2003. So about as successful as the XFL. Um, so Matt, uh, they draft the players, and as you mentioned, training camp, Matt. Most teams have training camp at their respective facilities, okay? They get the players ready, they work them out, they stretch them, they go over, they practice the plays, they do scrimmages, things of that nature. The problem with the XFL is they didn't really have any stadiums. This all came together, but they didn't have anywhere to put the teams. They didn't have practice facilities. So naturally, Matt, where do you take football players to get ready for the season? Uh, you would obviously take them to Applebee's. That would have been probably, they probably would have made some money off that would have been a little bit smarter. No, you take them to Sin City. You take them to Las Vegas, <laughs> Nevada, of course, football Mecca, um, where the entire XFL came and had about a month to get ready to play XFL football. And in that month, amazingly enough, so Matt, you know, this NFL teams play four preseason games apiece. Every single team plays four games, and they do that to get ready for the season, practice the plays, try out their players, get guys comfortable. The XFL is comprised of many guys who are retired, who haven't played in years, who are learning a new system. The XFL had just two exhibition games prior to the season, which means four of the eight teams did not play a single game prior to kickoff. <laughs> which is insane. And when we talk about next week, the kickoff game, right. um, how that impacted the quality of play in the first couple weeks of the league. Right. It was almost it was almost like it was doomed from the start, just from 
the lack of practice or exhibition games that that these that any of these teams had the chance to play against each other. Well, we'll and at the end of this, when we come up with our couple reasons why the XFL failed, one of them absolutely has to be the quality of football wasn't very good. They were very focused on the glitz and the glamour and the explosions, and they just simply didn't have enough time to get the players ready to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you, this training camp was just not enough. Um, and we'll have to see how this plays out. I mean, I think it's it's no secret that we. Um, we now know that the XFL, at least so they say, as the stories go, as of as of recording, is planned. There's a planned resurrection for 2020. We will see how, um, you know, how this pans out. Will will one of the biggest questions on my mind, at least, is will they have the opportunity now to play some preseason games? Well, are they now that now that they've got at least several? It was announced in 2018. It's scheduled for two years down the line. Will they be able to get some things right that they were not able to the first time around? Will they? Will they make? And I'm, I think this is more a conversation we'll have in our in our final episode of our of our XFL series. Um, I think it would be appropriate to have that conversation then. But it's one of the things on my mind. Will they will they have a proper preseason? So maybe maybe I guess stick that in the back of your mind for now. Um, all we know is as of right now is that you know the in twenty in two thousand in two thousand one, the original XFL did not have any sort of preseason whatsoever, and the league honestly the league suffered for it. I think everybody think that's plain to see. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Matt, uh, mm-hmm. an interesting thing about the XFL. We touched on this at the Open. Uh, not your daddy's football league. A lot of different rules, Matt, okay? And they marketed heavily that they're not going to be the no-fun league anymore, okay? They're the exciting football league. Uh, Matt, do you want to talk about some of the rule differences between the XFL and the old stodgy NFL? Sure. Um I mean, uh, number one, I think the number one thing that they marketed, they did a good job marketing the commercials, was uh, that this was going to be much more rough and tumble. Yes. You know, no quote, unquote, fair catches. Real football. So no, yeah, no fair catches. Um, there would be if a, if a uh, uh, meaning that if on a kick or a punt, a player could not um, essentially surrender his ability to run on the play. Um, and automatically down himself. The player could not self-down um, after a return of a kick, which means that he would have to play it, even if he was surrounded by defenders and was going to get pounded into the into the into the atmosphere. He would have to uh, he would have to play it. Um, another another rule change that's notable to mention is the um, the rule on um, the scramble, replacing the coin toss. Absolutely. So, beginning of every traditional NFL match, there is a a coin toss between one or more representatives from both players. They go out, would meet with the referee. They call either heads or tails. Traditionally, it's the visiting team that gets to choose um, that option, heads or tails. Um, and the winning team gets to decide whether they will receive the ball initially um, or kick the ball initially. And then, obviously, the the uh, reverse would happen at halftime. In the XFL, however, the coin toss was entirely replaced by a 20-yard scramble where one player from each team um, fought to recover a football 20 yards away in order to determine possession. So they would line, both players would line up side-by-side side on either of one of the 30-yard lines. Next, they would line up next to each other. The ball would be placed at the 50-yard line, and the referee would blow the whistle. The two players would run toward the ball, and whichever player gained possession, complete possession of the ball, was allowed to choose whether their team would get to um, receive or kick at the start of the game. Uh, obviously, this this led to a, a an infamous an infamous situation. Um, it was the very first scramble, which we'll talk about next episode. Um, where Orlando safety Hassan Shamsuddin um, separated his shoulder, uh, scrambling against um, 
against the uh, Chicago Enforcers player. Um, and he ended up ended up missing the rest of the season because of it. Yeah, a number of injuries from the scramble in the first couple weeks of the league. Not all quite as bad as that one in particular, but definitely not a uh, not a great piece of uh, a great piece of television when you see these guys running against each other, smacking, and a dude getting injured. You know, there was a fun fact on the scramble uh, from the book Long Bomb by Brett Forrester, which uh, we're using as kind of a primary source of information. Uh, for these uh, this miniseries, but it says here, uh, talking about the the scramble, uh, two players engaged in the scramble, a whistled sprint for the ball, 10 yards distance. The play came in place of the standard kickoff, and it was decided upon by McMahon and Ebersol only the day before the kickoff game. <laughs> That's the XFL for you. No studies to figure it out, no rules committee. Two guys decided, hey, wouldn't this be fun a day before the game, and they did it. I love that. Yeah, that's absolutely the the XFL in a nutshell, right? Yep. Just all kind of haphazardly put together at the last minute. Uh, Matt, one other thing I will mention, uh, mm-hmm. I, I not not to backtrack too much, you did talk about uh, no fair catches, which, by the way, I didn't even know this. Um, in Canadian football, there are no fair catches. So that was already a rule in Canadian yeah. football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that's, that is true, but... Um, there are also differences to the field dimensions in Canadian football. True. I'm not saying whether or not it makes it necessarily safer to have no fair catches. I don't know that. But I do know that the, the dimensions of the field are a little bit different. Um, so that was – yeah, that was interesting to to, to find out. Another, another major difference is that um, the, uh, the XFL – outlawed uh the pat the point after touchdown uh the kick so um after after touchdowns no extra point kicks were awarded uh due to the xfl's perception that an extra kick point an extra point kick was essentially a guaranteed point which it which it was and and that's to be fair that it was 100 percent true especially back then when the extra points were taken from inside the ten yard line, it's it is basically a chip shot at the professional level. No one, no one should ever mix, miss an extra kick, an extra point kick. Uh, I think the completion rate was something like ninety seven or ninety eight percent at the at the at the professional level, which is why um, one of the reasons why in uh, was it twenty sixteen or twenty fifteen they moved the extra point ago. back. Yep. Yeah, a few seasons ago they they moved the extra point back to the twenty, so it's a little bit more. Is it the twenty or the twenty-five? It's uh, it's now at the twenty-five. Yeah, it's yeah, it's the twenty. Uh, no, it's it's the fifteen-yard in the NFL. Making a, right, making it a twenty-five-yard kick. There you go. The goal line is is ten yards back. Yep. From the from the end zone. Um. Right. 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 So, and that happened in twenty fifteen. Yeah. Um. Well, in the XFL, there there was no extra point kick to earn a point after a touchdown. Teams ran a single. I'm just reading blindly directly from <laughs> to to earn an extra uh, point after a touchdown. Teams ran a single. They would run a single offensive play down from the two yard line. So similar to how the NFL runs two point conversions, the same play. But yeah. they but they would just get a single point from that instead yeah. of the two points. Why um, that was necessary? I'm not sure. Um, also, I don't think players had the option. I think they they oh they always had to go for it. They always had to go for that one point. Um, I don't know. I I think I actually think there's a little bit of merit to this. I love this. I actually really like this. I'm it. so yeah. for this. Kicking mm-hmm. the extra point is one of the dumb that and uh, punt returns. Punt yeah. returns are useless because all very rarely are they running for touchdowns, and someone always gets hurt. Just put it on the twenty five or the twenty yard line and just start the play from there. But the the extra point, it reminds me of the three-point line in basketball, right? Where it's, and this is, and I didn't, uh, in the XFL, later in the season to increase excitement, they actually added two-point and three-point conversions, depending depending on how far back you were from the goal line. So you could take the option of having a more difficult play, getting more points. I love this. The strategy in this, the excitement in this, mm-hmm. this, this is so much more fun then an extra point kick, and it's not like it's a big major play because you're not going, a, you know, fifty yards. You're going a small distance. This is like such a no brainer. Yeah. 
So this was this was actually this is one of the XFL's better ideas, uh, as opposed to the the opening scramble. I think we could agree not so not so great an idea. Although not so not so bright a a a, a, a notion to have two players just ram into each other. No. Um, but yeah, no, this, this, I, I can absolutely get behind this, this, uh, point after touchdown philosophy of Though the XFL. I don't want to give the XFL too much credit only because, uh, this rule was in the world football league before the XFL and the NFL even tested the idea in 1968's preseason, uh, mm-hmm. where it didn't catch on. So, um, right, it was referred to as a pressure point. The pressure point, and in the WFL, the action point, which I, that's a very uh, 70s way of phrasing that. So um, I would just say they don't get credit for inventing it, but we'll talk about a lot of innovations that the XFL brought to the game. I think this is an awesome one. I, I would be for sure down for, for more of this in the NFL. This is one the NFL should have stole. Yeah. Um, now, uh, an, uh, another XFL rule um, that actually is used in – some form of football today is overtime, Matt. No ties. In, this was also part of the marketing. No ties in the XFL. Always mm-hmm. a winner, always a loser. Yeah. Because that's how the XFL rolls. They would uh, resolve ties in a similar fashion like the NCAA does today uh, with at least one position by one possession by each team starting from the opponent's 20-yard line. No first down. You had uh, four downs to score. Uh, and you could not attempt a field goal until the fourth down. So you had three plays going for a touchdown, and the fourth you could go for a touchdown or take a field goal. If a team managed to score a touchdown in fewer than four downs, the second team would have only the same number of downs to match or beat the result. So if you got a touchdown in two downs, the other team had to score a touchdown in two downs uh, to beat it. If the score was still tied after one overtime... The team that played second on defense would flip in the second overtime, and you would keep going until a winner is determined. No ties. Yeah, um, I think that yeah, this this comes back to the not your not your dad's NFL Smash Mouth football. No ties. Ties are for weaklings. Mm-hmm. You know, screw ties. We, we're going to play until somebody wins. Mentality, basically. Um, I, I don't really, I don't really get, I, I mean, I get the marketing. It's the same reason that, um, it's the same reason that people get on soccer a lot. They criticize oh, yeah. soccer, you know, for often ending in ties. Um, it's the same reason that sports like hockey and basketball go so far out of their way to make sure that games don't end in ties, even though they can legally, um, you know, even, even in the NFL, you know, they have overtime, double overtime, just to try to, to try to make sure that there is a winner decided. I think, I think that's a cultural thing. I think it's, it's part of our American culture to make sure there is a, a clearly defined winner Mm -hmm. and a clearly defined loser. And that we know the difference between the two and that we know that deep down, truly, the team that tried the hardest won the, the hardest won the match and or the team that fought the hardest or the team that had the luckiest break or it's just something some kind of, of factor came in and made that made the decision we don't like ties i think we as a, as a society really dislike ties i think we'd rather lose than tie i think i was just about to say that i think we would rather see ourselves be the losers than be a t- in a tie cuz ties represent uncertainty yep they represent, I, I think, to a certain degree, a lot of people, a lot of fans walk away from a tie like, why did I even bother watching that? You know, it, it ended in, in such ambiguity that my entire time watching it has basically been for nothing because I don't know how it ended. Um, it's kind of like the 2000 presidential election, right? Everybody went to bed without without a clearly defined winner that night. And I think people were, people lost their shit. So, um, yeah, and we all know so, the XFL just as important as the 2000 presidential election, right? We know it all, it all came down to hanging chads and the Supreme court making a decision. So, uh, it all, of course, as always, always comes down to Florida. So, yep. um, <laughs> but 
Um, yeah, no, that's a, that's a uh, another factor is that that ties would be resolved. They actually resolved ties uh, similar to the NCAA and and the CFL. Again, the Canadian Football League does it the same way, which I I'm I'm particularly a, a fond of of this method. They um, each team has a, has an equal opportunity to score, um, starting from the opponent's twenty yard line. Mm-hmm. Um, the only difference in this case is that. The XFL, no team was awarded a first down. They only had they had to resolve the entire game within four downs. Once, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter how far, how close you came, how yeah. how far four you shots. went. You could you could make it to the one yard line, but if it's fourth down, it's a turnover, and you, yeah. and the other team now has a shot at at your twenty yard line to score. Um, and also, um, a field goal could not be attempted until fourth down. Yeah. So that that part maybe I agree with a little bit less, but well, you know, just the issue in NFL overtime is you spend half the overtime driving down the field. I mean, that's the least exciting part. That's why I, you know I'm not a big college football fan. I love college football overtime because it is all touchdowns and field goals and cool scoring opportunities, and it's so much fun to watch, especially because you can so easily go back and forth, back and forth, kind of like a penalty shootout. It's uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, it is very similar to the like NHL style penalty shootout in that it is it is a lot of nonstop action a lot of intensity it's and and you're right the nfl um i think the nfl's got to get on board with this um it's it's too much driving down the field and back and forth and i don't want to see another quarter play out basically i just want to i just want a resolution i think it was a step in the right direction personally when the nfl Said that a, a team couldn't win on a field goal. That even if, if a field goal was kicked, the the opposing team had had an opportunity to score, whereas mm-hmm. a touchdown would just end it. Uh, because I thought it was just too, it was just too cheap in a way to see. Basically, the team that won the coin toss had such a greater advantage. Yeah. Over the team that lost the coin toss, that it they should have done the scramble. Kind of Maybe. Or maybe they should have done like a jump ball, but oh, there like you a go. violent jump ball. I don't know. We're, we're <laughs> like, maybe they could have done like a game of chicken oh, they where, do. you know, the quarterback, each court team's quarterback gets on a lineman's shoulders and has to like push the other one off. I would watch that. That's an idea. Yeah. Pitch us to Roger Goodell. Yeah. Or uh, maybe I'll pitch it to Vince McMahon. He oh, might take on. He's probably more realistic. He's an outside the box thinker. Uh, he is now, Matt. Uh, at the yeah. pace we're going, we're still going to be doing the show tomorrow. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to push the uh, fast forward button, uh, and I'm going to list a bunch of different rules. And then at the end, if there's any one in particular you want to go deeper on, we certainly can. We hit most of the major ones. Um, the uh, play clock was a little bit shorter, 35 seconds instead of the NFL's 40. Um, the uh, XFL only played on grass turf, um, which eliminated a lot of places for them to play. Um, at the time of the XFL in 2001, um, the there was no uh, covered NFL stadiums with grass fields. The first didn't open to 2002, so they could only play at open-air stadiums, which really limited them, especially in the north. Uh, they had a lot of turf issues. We'll talk about that as we get into the games as well. Um, full bump and run coverage early in the season. Defensive backs allowed to hit wide receivers before the quarterback hits the ball, which basically means wide receivers are getting just knocked their teeth knocked out of them. Yeah, th- this is this is one I think it's worth uh, just worth mentioning that one of, one of this was definitely one of the major things, the one of the iconic things that separated the XFL from from the NFL is that th- something like this today would would just never be allowed under in Goodell's Goodell's league. Just, um, I mean, think just think of thinking about the initiatives that the NFL is criticized for, for not taking in terms of player safety. This is just a huge step in the, in the opposite camp. Oh, it's so, bonkers. Mm. Absolutely bonkers. Uh, and by the fourth week of the season, they adjusted the rules. So bump and run was restricted to just the first five yards. So once you got far enough out, um, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't hit you like that. So, uh, for good reason, a lot of injuries. Um, lastly, Matt, uh, roster and salaries. We touched on this quickly, uh, XFL limited team to only 38 players. There's 53 on an NFL roster, uh, and essentially unlimited on college roster. So it's a very small group of, pe- of players, 
Uh, teams usually only carry two quarterbacks and one kicker who doubled as the punter. He also paid standardized salaries. This was very different for the XFL. Paid to play, paid more to win. Quarterbacks earned 5000 per week. Kickers, 3500 and all other uniforms player, 4500 per week. Um, players on the winning team received a bonus of $2,500 for the week, $7,500 for winning a playoff game, and the team that won the championship game split $1 million, or about $25,000 per player. Uh, that's why it was known as the million-dollar game. Uh, players did not receive any fringe benefits and had to pay for their own health insurance. Uh, so, yeah, a little, diff- <laughs> little different there than the NFL. You, you get paid either way. Here, you get paid more to win. I'm, I'm particularly really fond of... Uh, it says here that Los Angeles extreme player Noel Profontaine the league's lone punting specialist and Matt Malloy, a wide receiver got around this pay, this pay cap by having themselves listed as backup quarterbacks. Yep. So they got a little extra in their paycheck every week. They got some extra. Yeah. For technically being backup. I wonder if they actually ever played quarterback in, um, in the XFL. I mean, like I said, uh, teams usually only carry two quarterbacks, so it wouldn't surprise me. They didn't have a deep roster. So were they like the backup to the backup? or Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Um, I, th- yeah, this, this notion of, paid, more to, of, of p- paid to play, paid more to win, what do you think? What do you make of this? Um, I, you know, I, I like the idea of incentives to win. I think that's a good thing, and that's a lot of NFL players these days, especially higher tier players who are hit and who should be getting big contracts that hit um, salary caps. Uh, instead, they do cheaper guaranteed money, but they do it based on um, uh, goals. They have to score so many touchdowns, run so many yards, play so many games. Especially for players with an injury history, they'll usually say you get a bonus. You know, if you play at least half the season, you get so much money. You play the full season, you get so much money. I like incentive based payment is winning the 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 sort of metric I'd want to use to incentivize players I don't know because I just the, winning is so out of the hands of players in a sport like this where uh, you know you can play an amazing game go to double overtime in a high scoring game your team plays amazing but you lose and you're out $2500 for the week that's half your salary more than half your salary um so it, you know I, I like incentives. I don't know if winning is necessarily the only incentive people should be paid extra for. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder how much of this was inspired by like the, just a desire to get players like a, sure. you know, like a, like a real, you know, we want, we want people to come to our league um, and how much of it, was really inspired by the viewers at home, right? So this is a league that's geared more towards like TV and and the home quote unquote the home audiences, like mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of working class people that come home at five pm and turn on the tube to to kind of unwind and forget their troubles. And I wonder if a lot of it appealed to, to them to see, you know, to see on the TV, like, Oh, there's this guy who's making, you know, as much as I do down at the auto shop. Like, you know, he's out there playing football. It gives me hope that I could do the same or something like that. Well, to be honest, after the game, the player is probably is going to work at the auto shop. So, you know, these aren't, these aren't wealthy athletes by any stretch. So, yeah. Yeah, no, tot- no, e- yeah, even that, it, it, it's totally realistic to believe that they held down, that they held down other jobs throughout the week, you yep. know, up until game time. Yep. I think it's just it was it was Vince McMahon's notion to get away from this like elitist what he saw as this elitist uh, establishment, you know, that was the NFL where these these players are making, you know, thousands of signing million dollar contracts and, um to uh to play what he described as a as a watered down version of the game that he he experienced as a as a um as a kid as yep. a youth I mean I think we'd agree all these rules you know uh, uh, some good ones some not so good ones overall it made the game more interesting in some respects but I don't think it made it radically different football by any stretch um and certainly some of the most radical rules like bump and run and 
uh, you know, no fair catches and that kind of stuff was kind of reeled in a little bit towards the end of the season. They realized they couldn't keep the scramble, realized they couldn't keep doing it. So it's good to experiment, but how many of them actually worked? You know, that's questionable. Hmm. You might say that's up for debate. Oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> I, I think we get paid every time you say that. Um, I wish. So, Matt, mm-hmm. let's. we've covered the rules. How about this, Sean? Do you think uh, we can we implement something like this? Paid to play, paid more to win, something <laughs> like this. On you, the, you mean you mean the the money we get paid? Yeah. Can we? Do you think we week? could talk to we could talk to management about that? Yeah, but the thing is, Maybe. Matt, I already get paid more than you, so it doesn't matter. Well, I, I I don't know if you know this, but I I listed myself as a backup quarterback. Your backup so host. I, I'm I a, forgot. I'm a backup host, right? You're collecting yeah. two salaries. I'm a backup host. Yeah. So oh, so no. So basically, that means like whenever you're not around, I I host this show. Trouble is, I don't know how to put it up online. So it's just me <laughs> sitting in front of a, a blank be... screen with a microphone, just doing it. I and, would love um, to have a secret folder somewhere with just hours of Matt hosting shows every time <laughs> I couldn't do it. And you're like, but I I don't know how to put it anywhere. It's just it's just I, I put it all on a camcorder, like a '90s style camcorder. <laughs> so there's VHS, VHS out there. It's VHS, and I I, uh, I upload it every week That's on awesome. uh, my my VCR, and whoever happens to be in my house gets to watch it. So I love that. Um, yeah. So uh, we talked about rule changes. Yeah, man. I I think we should, in in the interest of time. Yeah, we're gonna start next week talking about all these teams and all these players. Mm-hmm. I think we got to introduce the folks to the eight teams that make up the XFL. Yeah, let's do that. Two divisions: the Eastern Division and the Western Division. Four teams apiece, spread out East Coast to West Coast. Matt, what team would you like to start with? You get dealer's choice on this one. There's some really great teams here to talk about. There really are. Um... I think I think what we just do is just go geographically. Okay. How about we start? We'll start on the East Coast. And okay. We'll work our way out west. Uh, the first team I'd like to talk about would be what I I guess I would consider the closest thing to a home team. Um, even though I live in Virginia now, but the uh, whatever whenever this was out, two thousand one, back when I still lived in New York, I guess I would have watched the. New York, New Jersey hitmen. Ah, uh, yes, Matt, your New York, New Jersey hitmen. That's My correct. My own New York, New Jersey hitmen, whose colors were royal blue, black, and silver. They played at Giant Stadium. Where else? Beautiful East, East Rutherford, Rutherford, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing I really appreciate, I do appreciate New Jersey in the name. Uh, the New York Giants and the New York Jets continue to play in East Rutherford, New Jersey, but uh, refuse to acknowledge that that they're um, that in their team name, which by the way I found out it actually comes because their it's because their front office is in New York, so wherever the front office is is where you recognize it's why oh. the F- San Francisco 49ers are still the San Francisco 49ers. They're not the uh, Santa Monica 49ers wherever the, they yeah. actually play. I think Santa Monica or Santa Barbara. Um. And the like the the Redskins aren't the Landover Redskins or the Maryland Redskins. They're the Washington Redskins and so on. So anyway, the New York slash New Jersey hitmen, um, great name. I, I do I applaud them for including New Jersey in the name, but I I don't really applaud them so much for their use of hitmen. Um, it's a uh, it's a little stereotypical i feel mm-hmm. coming from a, a land of 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 prim, primarily uh, italian american descent to imply that you know this is a team of thugs that that kill people for for paid for money um i don't think i i, I the the irony was not lost on me uh, i don't think it has anything to do really with with colliding into people and hitting them like tackling them no um but what's interesting enough is that the general manager um, of the Hitmen was Drew Pearson, who was originally a wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, also, the famous manager of the Hitmen, Rusty Tillman, uh, <laughs> who features prominently in both the book and the documentary. Yes, we uh, will be talking very, about him. <laughs> he earned a very interesting nickname from XFL commentator Jesse Ventura. Do you remember his nickname that he gave him? What would that be, Matt? 
gutless rusty oh boy they had, they had quite a thing <laughs> that poor man was just constantly the governor of minnesota wanted to fight him minnesota <laughs> just constantly um there, there was the part yeah we'll, we'll get into the next episode where he he uh tries to confront him after a hitman loss after a game and tillman is just basically running off the sidelines in the locker room he just doesn't want to talk to him because his tillman is like kind of the straight man in all of this. Like he's really genuinely trying to play he wants to win. football. He yeah. wants to win football the honest and good way. And he's teaching his, his boys about football and um, strategy and all this. And Jesse Ventura is just playing up the angle, uh, you know, calling him a coward, calling him gutless, telling him he doesn't know how to coach, telling him he doesn't know what he, he doesn't know what he's doing actually goes gets to the point where he challenges him to a fight after the game to try to drum up ratings and uh tillman just books it for the locker room he doesn't want to have any of that doesn't oh, want yeah. to deal with the gimmicks or any of the sideshow business that that uh ventura and mcmahon are kind of kind of promoting so uh, that's pretty pretty wild so that's that's the first team that's the the new york new jersey hitman yes indeed matt Let's, uh, let's stay in the Eastern Division, head a little bit west, over to the great state of Illinois, home of your Chicago Enforcers. Okay. The Chicago uh, Enforcers. Chicago Enforcers played in Chicago at Soldier Field, home of the Chicago Bears. Um, their colors were purple, black, and silver, just like uh, the New York, New Jersey Hitmen. Go figure. <laughs> uh, the... Uh, Early rumors were that famed Philadelphia Eagles head coach Buddy Ryan would be hired as the team coach. Instead, uh, they hired Dick Buckus for the position. However, he resigned to take a position in the XFL office, so they went with their third choice, Ron Meyer, uh, a former NFL coach from the 80s. Um, he actually had a, a, a bit of a notable NFL career, probably more so than a lot of these coaches coached the Patriots in 82, 83, and 84, where he was fired midseason. Uh, and then coached Indianapolis 86 through 91, where he was fired midseason after starting 0 and 5 previously at uh, SMU and UNLV. Uh, the Chicago Enforcers was his final career appearance. Um, yeah, I don't have much to say about the Chicago Enforcers. Uh, I think this is so far from what I can understand. Like looking at the the team names, this is the like only positive. Team name in the XFL. <laughs> the Although when you when you look at the backstory, that it's um, that the team references mob enforcers, alluding to Chicago's history of mafia influence. Yep, a lot of a lot of just I guess there was something McMahon had something some kind of, of, of affinity for for mob the mafia or crime lords or maybe he just owed them a lot of money. And Could that's be why he, he thought of himself as one of these figure. games. Yeah. Uh, their fight song would would later become famous as the entrance music for professional wrestler Brock Lesnar. Nice. And fun fact, yeah. uh, Matt, the uh, of course we know the XFL closed after one year. Uh, the Enforcers were playing at Soldier Field. The issue is the following year in 2002, um, not only did they have poor attendance in 01, but uh, Soldier Field was being renovated in 2002. The league was exploring relocating the team to Milwaukee. If the XFL had played a second season. Okay. It could have been the Milwaukee Enforcers. Oh, that's awful. Doesn't really have the same ring to it. No. That sucks. Not at all. All right. Not very what, good. Uh, what team are we looking at next? Well, Matt, we're going to stay in the Eastern Division. We're going to head south all the way down to Birmingham and your Birmingham Thunderbolts. Established in 2001 and folded in 2001. Uh, this team was based in Birmingham, Alabama and played at Legion Field. Uh, which is home to nobody. Uh, no, who plays there currently? Um, oh, the uh, the the new football league starting next spring is going to have a team there, the Birmingham Iron. Prior to that, um, no team has really ever been situated there. Actually, the short-lived Birmingham Barracudas of the CFL was there, the Birmingham Stallions of the USFL, the Birmingham Fire of the WAL. It's all these defunct, the Birmingham Vulcans of the WFL. Hmm. Really, no one's been there uh, the UAB Blazers of the University of Alabama at Birmingham. It's college stadium. Yeah. Uh, an interesting thing about the team name is that originally they were going to be the Birmingham Blast, as the legend goes, because uh, the the XFL um, had had names that were supposed to be like uh, 
reference to uh, insanity or criminal activity. And so the, the, the tie in here being blast, tying it to insanity and criminal activity, you know, like the hitmen, like the enforcers, like the rage, like the extreme. If you follow that pattern along the line, then the Birmingham blast um, just kind of invoked images in the minds of fans of various terrorist attacks that occurred within the city and the city's history. Specifically, the 1963 bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church and the 1998 bombing of a local abortion clinic. Um, the two tragic events in Birmingham history kind of sparked protesters to, to view the um, – View the name in poor taste, encouraging the league to change it, which they did at the last minute. Uh, they became the Birmingham Thunderbolts or the Birmingham Bolts. Hmm. Neat. And Matt, the uh, the logo lives on uh, with a youth softball team called the Birmingham Thunderbolts, who play in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. They get to so that, they get to preserve that legacy, I guess. They sure do. They sure do. So shall we continue? Yeah, with- pretty unremarkable XFL team, Matt. We got one more in the Eastern Division. We're going all the way south to the beautiful state of Florida for your Orlando Rage. The angriest team in the league, uh, founded in 2001, folded in 2001. This team was played in Orlando, Florida at the Florida Citrus Bowl, uh, the beautiful stadium down there. Actually, I think they just renovated it a couple of years ago. Uh, it has been home to a number of bowl games um, in college, including the Camping World Bowl, which is still played there today, uh, and a number of now defunct uh, football teams. No football teams play there on a permanent basis currently. Uh, the Rage were one of two XFL teams who opted to not include nicknames on the back of their jerseys. Ah. Uh, In the case of the Orlando Rage, the decision was made by a majority vote of the players, despite the objection of starting quarterback Jeff Brom, who openly embraced the XFL's approach um, to adopting uh, nicknames on the back of their jerseys. Jeff Brom wanted to wear his nickname on the back of his jersey, which was J-Bro. He wanted to wear J-Bro on the back of his jersey, but... His team outvoted him, said they didn't want to be a part of that, so they did not have nicknames on their jerseys. Neat. Mm-hmm. The um, the coach of the team was none other than Gallen Hall, and you're saying, who is that? Well, pretty well known in Europe. He won two World Bowls, Matt. Two World Bowls. Okay. Do you know what a World Bowl is? Uh, I'm assuming it does it have something to do with the World Football League? The no, WFL? actually, NFL oh, Europe. I have no idea. Well, actually, it started with the oh, World the Football League, League, so to okay. be fair. Became NFL Europe. He won two when he was the coach of the Rhine Fire out of Germany. Um, very successful over there. And actually, he left in 2000. Rhine Fire, they won World Bowl Eight over the Scottish Claymores. He was the NFL Europe Coach of the Year, left to come coach the Orlando Rage. It was his last professional coaching job. Um. Yeah. What's next? What's the next team we got that we've completed that division? The Eastern Division's done, Matt. We got to move on mm-hmm. to the Red Hot Western Division. We got a lot of great teams here, and we're gonna start in. Uh, we're gonna start. We're gonna go east to west here, and we're gonna start all the way over with I think one of our favorite team names, your Memphis Maniacs, with an X. <laughs> Uh, the Memphis Maniacs, based in Memphis, Tennessee, played at the Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium, home to the University of Memphis Tigers football team of the American Athletic Conference, uh, and coached by Kippy Brown, who, aside from having a great name, uh, won the Super Bowl with the Seahawks a couple of years ago as wide receivers coach. He's been a wide receivers coach, offensive coordinator, running backs coach, and a zillion teams in the NFL over the years. This has been his only head coaching career uh, position to date. I, I think that I spotted a missed opportunity here, Sean. So as far as I could tell, only two teams, two teams have been able to make use of the, of an X in their logo, the Memphis maniacs and the Los Angeles extreme. I think that every team should be required to have an X in their, in their team name. Okay. I like that. You know, and it, I mean, it can, it can be, it can be total, it can be total crap, like like the maniacs and like the extreme for that matter 
but I think that they I think they should have done it. I think there was a missed opportunity. I agree. That's just bad branding. Mm. Now, uh, interesting thing about Memphis, Memphis, like Birmingham, uh, like Las Vegas, one of those cities that has had a ton of low rent football teams in defunct leagues, including the Memphis Showboats and the Memphis Mad Dogs. Um, the Maniacs were in the lower half of league average attendance, about 20,000 fans per game. Um, the ex- uh, Fun fact, NBC... Uh, no, never mind. Don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> I was just reading something I didn't read anymore. Uh, nothing really particularly memorable about the, uh, about the Memphis Maniacs other than that great helmet with the, with the yeah. AX on I, it. I really I genuinely like their colors a lot. I think that that... that um... That teal color, yeah, it's nice. Is is highly underutilized in sports. I like to see more of it. It's nice. Reminds me a lot of. Um, reminds me a lot of the old Marlins, the Florida Marlins uniforms. Mm. That nice teal. Those were nice. Uh, also, you see them in. Uh, well, the Seattle Mariners baseball team, they have like an alternative kit that uses the color. They also uh, kind of vaguely a little bit like the like the Arizona Diamondbacks of the 90s. Yeah, definitely. You know, they, had, they had like a purple and teal kind of thing yeah. going on. Yeah, I would say too, uh, a little bit like the Houston Oilers, the now defunct Houston oh, Oilers. Sure. That mm-hmm. was kind of right in line as yeah. well. Yeah, they don't really do those anymore. No, I'd, I'd like to see. I, I'm always a fan of... Um, I'm always a fan of teams that use color schemes that are outside the box. Uh, Matt, we're going to continue heading west Mm -hmm. all the way out to the great state of Nevada for your Las Vegas Outlaws. Yes, the Outlaws. Uh, Located in Las Las Vegas, Nevada, played at Sam Boyd Stadium, uh, home of the UNLV Rebels football team. Um, Yeah, Las Vegas Outlaws. There you go. Coached by the great... Jim Kreiner, uh, who coached Boise State and Iowa State for quite a while, won uh, the national championship with Boise State in 1980. And famous for playing in the XFL kickoff game, which uh, we'll spend a lot of time on next week. And I I have a, 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 in quotation marks, authentic... (laughs) Outlaws jersey right here with the... That's right. With the real deal patch Mm -hmm. of that that awesome desert logo... Yeah, I think that is a that is a pretty boss logo. I have to say, it's very Vegas. I like that. It is. It is very very uh, Nevada. Um, the uh, ex the um, Las Vegas Outlaws, of course, the home team of um, perhaps XFL's most well known player, Rod Smart. Yep. Um, who went by the nickname He Hate Me. Um, which I believe is on the back of uh, of your souvenir jersey as well. It sure is. There you go, Matt. Who hate me? He hate me. He hate me. They they he hate me and he, he hate, hate me. me and he hate and me, she hate me and she hate and they me too. Hate me. And he probably hate me over there. Yeah, they hate me because they hate me. Mm-hmm. All right, so that takes care of the loss <laughs> outlaws. We're just chugging right through these, man. We're going to continue on. Uh, we have two teams in California. We're going to start with the least memorable of the two, your San Francisco Demons. Okay. San Francisco Demons, uh, the only XFL team to not play in a football stadium. They played in a baseball stadium, Pacific Bell Park, uh, now known as AT&T Park, home of uh, the San Francisco Giants. Uh, apparently can be converted to play... Uh, to play yeah. football. Uh, they also included a, a UFL team as well when that was short-lived, and they have played bowl games there in the past. Um, I was just thinking that, like, the uh, that they, they actually played football on that field. I mean, both of us have been on that. You know, we've been there. It, it seems like a park that really is only conducive to baseball, doesn't it? Just something about it. I mean, it's kind of cool because it's right on the water, which I like. Yeah, I mean, that it would be a cool place for a football stadium, but I've never understood because I've seen pictures and sort of video of baseball stadiums used for football, and they well, um, the Oakland Raiders do it every week. It it just doesn't. It's just weird. It's just not a good idea. No, not at all. No, I I don't know how this worked. Uh, Their fan section, their cheering section, was nicknamed the Hellhole. Oh, 
Oh, probably an homage to uh, Oakland's Black Hole, uh, which the Raiders famous, their famous cheering section. Sure. Uh, the team was coached by Jim Skipper, a uh, notable NFL runnings backs coach, did it for a number of teams, including uh, the New York Giants right before the San Francisco Demons. He is the runnings backs coach right now for the Carolina Panthers. So still coaching. All right. Have we reached uh, the end of our list? I think we have. This is our final team that we're going to break down here. Our last team rounding out the Western Division from the great state of California. It's your Los Angeles Extreme. Yeah. Los Angeles world champion. Los Angeles Extreme. Uh, A million dollar champion. Million dollar champion. Uh, Play at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, of course, home to every sporting event on the planet, uh, including the Olympics soccer, currently home to the Los Angeles Rams, um, coached by the great Al Luganbill, um, who coached uh, for San Diego State for a number of years, prior to the XFL, coached in NFL Europe on the Amsterdam Admirals, um, though he never did win a World Bowl. He lost in his first World Bowl and never made another appearance. Uh, And fun fact, in 2003, after the XFL, coached in the Arena Football League for the Detroit Fury. And I would also say we talk about Rod Smart, uh, maybe the most famous, second most famous uh, XFL player, Los Angeles Extreme, home to the first or second other most famous player, Tommy Maddox, quarterback for uh, the XFL, and as we'll get into in later episodes, league MVP. And went on to play for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers of the NFL and won won a uh, Super Bowl with them as a backup, but still. Yeah. So probably the most accomplished XFL player in terms of football, at least, maybe. I, I, I would say that there is a statistic I absolutely love and that there is one guy who has won in his career a Super Bowl, the Grey Cup, which is the Canadian Football Championship, and the XFL Championship. Yeah. Uh, who is uh, Bobby Singh, uh, a, uh, a great, um, maybe not great, but... Uh, but a great defensive player um, yeah. from Fiji. Yeah. Which is neat. Certainly a memorable, memorable. Yeah. It's uh, that's awesome. It's really awesome. Yeah. So yeah, Los like Angeles extreme, uh, a great team championship team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there you go, Matt. You're, you're eight teams of the XFL. That's it. That's your 2001 XFL. Your lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, Matt. Are there any other fundamental things about the XFL we should tell the people before we roll into next week? There is one thing I did want to mention that we didn't get to earlier, yeah. uh, which is some of the technical innovations of the XFL. Oh, right, right. Because there's, the, there's a whole bunch that we, we could talk bunch, about there. The, the XFL really, and credit where credit's due, first to do a lot of these things, the XFL decided we have to make it a bold reality TV style experiment. And that meant a number of things, starting with cameras everywhere. So many cameras, your head will explode. <laughs> cameras in on the, f- they literally had guys, camera guys standing on the field next to the players while the plays were happening to get these awesome angles right there. Cameras on the sideline, cameras in the locker room. Uh, they mic'd up everybody, the coaches, all the players, everybody was wearing microphones. Uh, so not only could you hear what was going on in the locker room, you could hear what was going on on the sidelines. And you could even hear what was going on in the huddle, which was interesting, not only because they had the players mic'd up, but they also broadcast the in-helmet communication. So you could hear the play being relayed to the quarterback and then the quarterback relaying it to the team. Um, yeah, we'll get to the sky cam in a second. But Matt, uh, this was a big innovation, creating some new angles and never before seen um, things before, including sideline reporters who would interview the players in the middle of the game while the game was happening, which is completely unheard of these days. Yeah. Um, even that was kind of too innovative. <laughs> yeah. Depending um, on who they asked far ahead of its time. I, I just love how the idea for the sky cam actually originated from a guy watching his son play Madden. It's on the, the same thing. It's exactly like, the same thing. It was like, this is how my kid visualizes the football game uh, and like I think this is the future right here and and so he and he it just right then and there invented Skycam which is still used heavily by um NFL college everywhere 
everywhere, right? And in all sports, by the way, because they use a, a similar technology in soccer, and they, mm-hmm. you know, it's not definitely in soccer, especially for penalty kicks and for um, any sort of stoppage kick. Yep. Uh, they use Skycam for um, baseball to a certain degree. A lot for um, uh like tracking shots for when, when the players hit home runs and things like that. It's, it's great. It's uh, just the, the, but the, uh, the idea that's where it comes from. It's pretty, pretty well, awesome. Th- this was a league made for television. You know, that, yeah. that was first and foremost and they didn't fool around. It amazed me again, not to spill into next week's territory. Uh, I watched probably more than I should have of the kickoff game as broadcast it looks like the NFL today. That's what's really amazing. And this was almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and from the camera angles to the mics to all this extra sort of broadcast technology, it looks shockingly like a modern game. It really was ahead of its time in that respect. Hmm. Yeah, NHL, NBA. It, it does. It um it gives it it gives it this feel that you're that you're there and that you're on the field, and unlike Unlike anything else, really in, in, inspiring um, piece of technology. Um, what else can we say about about the uh, the Bubba Cam? Oh, that's the Bubba the, uh, Cam. Yeah, well, that's the, he was. He basically kind of kind of hinted at that. That's the on-field cameramen, the ones that would, you know, get, capture all the hard hits. Um, players that would celebrate after a tackle or a touchdown. Or you would express anguish, anguish or anger uh, after a missed tackle, something like that. They would they would be able to express themselves in real time, right mm-hmm. then and there, to a camera. And much to the chagrin of uh, probably of the censors and the PA uh, stadium announcers that would uh, would get to you know hear uh, some swears and and un- unexpected. Uh, it was real. Unexpected language from, coming from the players. Yeah. Um, I I also really like the uh, the idea that the announcers had to sit in um, they they <laughs> sat with the fans they sat in like in the, in the in the crowd I thought that was a, a really unique thing that that uh, Vince McMahon added on that uh, this was kind of like this was very much under his his watch right the, well it's very much like wrestling it, right the announcers sit ringside I mean it's exact, kind of kind of right along the same. Same line. Exactly. I, I wanted to get to that. I think I think it was very much inspired from uh, from wrestling. That the were um, all the reporters, the commentators are right there, like with the fans. Well, there was even the 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 you know getting talking about getting close. There was even that famous line of you know we're going to encourage the players to date the cheerleaders. I mm. mean, it's you know whatever entertainment value Vince could wring out of this thing, he was going to do it. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, just in closing, it, it really, uh, it, it was, Vince tried to play the heel, right? He tried to play the, you know, he really tried to kind of make himself the villain of, of, uh, of this much like he, he had done and succeeded with the WWE. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think Jesse Ventura to a degree followed in his footsteps is kind of like the right hand guy. The minion, so to speak, of the uh, of the of this of this bad guy uh, chasing down coaches, haunting them, bothering them. Like, uh, I, I and I like that. I really like that a lot. I think that um, I think that other sports, it, it, it was, it's what they call. There's a term for it in wrestling, kayfab. Yep. All right. Is and kayfab basically means like, you know, we know this is fake. The audience knows this is fake, but we're gonna sell it anyway. We're gonna like really sell it anyway, and and it's it's kind of like a mutual agreement between the audience and the players uh, or the actors that that this is real. Only trouble is, as we as we saw and as we'll talk about next week, trying to sell a sport like football as kayfab and and, and kind of wave in the face of tradition that way. Um, you can't, it's, it's, it's just proved too, too difficult to script, just too hard to script it. It's like, 
how do you script a uh, a live sport like this that is a set of rules set of conditions um that has already been established and, and has, has been around um i think it was an interesting test run that the nfl did and we'll, we'll see if uh if they can get it get it to pay off in the future um in 2020 but for my money, I think that's that's what the goal was there was to just set up this kind of kfab mentality between the audience and uh, and and the players that were on the field. I mean, no doubt about it. This was a football league founded by wrestlers. I mean, they're you know you're you're not going to mistake that they didn't start off thinking this was a football league. They thought it was entertainment. Figured out how to fit football into it. So, I no. wonder if they if they had just had more players like Smart. That really like dove well, into the role, you know, I mean, really owned it. Like he stands out for a reason. I think if they had more players like that, like I think a player like Terrell Owens will say, oh sure, would well, have done real well in the XFL. You know, I, the uh, part of the thing you gotta remember is that wrestlers are great actors. Okay, mm-hmm. that that's that's a requirement to be a wrestler. You don't just have to be able to beat up on a guy. You got to be able to act. Football players are not actors. You watch a lot of these pre-scripted bits, and I've seen a few of them. The football players are so awkward in them. It's so painful to watch. They can't read the lines. They can't act. Why? Because they're football players and not actors. Right. And so I'm I'm totally with you, and, and we'll probably get into this more in the last episode where we talk about the future of spring football and alternative football. But I just think football will forever struggle. The NBA is so successful right now. For a small number of reasons, which is their players are interesting and have personalities. There's only five players on the court at any one time, so you get more individual attention. And they don't wear helmets that obscure their damn faces, so you know who they are. Football's always going to struggle to make individual stars out of the game. The reason why the quarterback is a known person is because there's only one of them on each team, right? Mm-hmm. So there's only 32 you got to know. And let's face it, he's 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 the the player that 90% of the audience is focusing he's on. He's the one in the highlights. Time. He's the one <laughs> that you're going to see more at. You're not paying attention to a defensive lineman. Right. So uh, the NFL is always going to struggle to make stars. And if you go into the XFL with the idea of that, oh my God, we're going to make stars out of these guys. We're going to turn them into wrestlers. It's like, Good chance, buddy. That's that. That's a str- That's a tough. That's a tough ask. But Matt, we're gonna spend the next couple weeks figuring out how well they did, how well they didn't do. Uh, as we continue, up for debate presents uh, the X stands for nothing. The unbelievably true story of the XFL. That does it for this hour. We've mentioned it many times, but I'm gonna mention it again. We're gonna be back next week for chapter three, the kickoff, the exciting game between the Las Vegas Outlaws and the. Uh, New York, New Jersey hitmen. Uh, I, Matt, we could probably talk about that game longer than it actually took to play that game because a whole bunch of stuff went on. If there are any super fans out there who really want to be ready, the entire game as broadcast is on YouTube. It's like two plus hours. Go watch it, or at least watch the beginning. Watch the first like quarter of the game, and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. We will be doing that in Chapter 3 right here next week. To get that, you got to go to our website, upfordebate.tv. All of our episodes are there, including all the ones from this series. You should absolutely subscribe. You'll get this episode as soon as it becomes published in your feed, in your podcast player of choice, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, now on Spotify, which is very exciting, right alongside your music. You can subscribe to us there in the video version, also on YouTube. Uh, you can also follow us at TV on Twitter, and you can email us TV at gmail.com. Uh, what a treat this has been, Matt. Uh, I'm very excited to continue on this XFL journey. Hope y'all come along with us. On behalf of Matt, I'm Sean. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time for more XFL action on another Up for Debate. This has been a Coffee and Beer production, executive produced by Matt Mariani and Sean Jennings. To learn more, visit coffeeandbeer.tv.